great marketing mistakes and how to avoid them. This was my first webinar attempt, which occurred during the initial launch week of Freight School Playbook, which you may or may not have noticed is the presenting sponsor for this show. It's also my quarantine goal come to life. I've always wanted to help other businesses through digital courses and what a perfect opportunity to pivot during a time where I wasn't sure what the future held in store for really all of us. This webinar covers the important topics of some of the biggest marketing mistakes I see all kinds of logistics companies making. So I recorded with this topic in mind, promoted it to my audience, and for anyone who signed up, I reached out the morning of the webinar to personally ask them what they were struggling with marketing-wise. Anyone who submitted a question was promised it would be answered on air, and I think it was this tactic that helped me earn 87% of registrants to show up live, and the overwhelming majority of them stayed for the entire webinar. Those attendance numbers are nearly triple the industry average. Afterwards, a quarter of those live participants ended up signing up for Freight School Playbook. Even better is that I have open communication with all of them so that if they have any questions about the courses and training, hopefully they feel comfortable reaching out to me directly. This was one of the many learning experiences I hope to share on this podcast as we explore more digital media and marketing tips, plus tell the stories of how your things and people get from point A to point B. Now let's go ahead and dive into the most common freight marketing mistakes and how to avoid them. Welcome in everybody. My name is Blythe Brumleave. I am the owner of Freight School Playbook, which is a division of Digital Dispatch. And Digital Dispatch helps companies with their websites and their marketing and just their online, just digital media presence. And that's what brings me to this webinar today is we have a new product called Freight School Playbook that just launched today. It's been, you know, a little bit of a, my, my quarantine project that I've worked on for like the last five months. Um, so that is the overall goal is to not only showcase how that can help you later on in the program, but also to just sort of shine a light on a lot of the freight marketing mistakes that I'm seeing out in the wild, out in the world, and how you can avoid doing them yourself. If you're looking to get into content marketing or just sort of up your digital media game, that is what this webinar is going to cover. So when we talk about content marketing, we're sort of talking about the entire ethos of that ecosystem. And when you think of content marketing, you can almost think of it as your entire supply chain network. And you can think of it in a way that, okay, well, where am I sourcing my content? What kind of content am I, am I going to create? The production, the manufacturing of that content, also publishing it, and then where you're going to be the distribution platforms of where you're going to be sending that content. And then you're going to measure the results of all of that. So that's sort of the ethos of content marketing. And it can sort of be, I don't want to say complicated at times, but it is intricate. And there are a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of moving pieces because usually marketing is one small facet of a larger company. There's a lot of things going on. If there's you know loads being booked and, and people handling customer service and missed delivery times and, and things like that, marketing plays a role in that somewhat, but we're more on the, on the end of trying to secure new business and trying to hone in on the brand, on the messaging and just the overall brand awareness so that in the future, when somebody does run into an issue, when somebody does run into a problem and they can't get that truck booked or they can't get this load picked up, then they know what you offer. They know where you're at and they know to call you. So that's sort of the ethos of how content marketing plays in the freight industry itself. So we're going to jump into right 
the, the, the biggest content marketing mistakes in the freight marketing world that I see. And so the first one on this list, we're going to go through six of them. So the first one on this list is not meeting with other departments on a regular basis. And this goes back to the point I just made that sort of with marketing in general and, and really a lot of departments within a, a freight company, you are sort of working in a silo. It's very difficult for you to get out of the, I guess, the gamemanship of your role and then to put yourself in another role within somebody's company, within within that company. Um, so say you're working in the marketing role and somebody else is working in sales or somebody else is working in customer service. One of the bigger mistakes or one of the greater values that you can take from working in marketing is by sitting in with each of these departments, really finding out what they do on it or what your coworkers are doing on a day-to-day basis. How has that changed? I'm sure it's changed a lot since COVID hit as it's changed damn near every part of our life. Uh, so it's, it's only natural for it to change as far as your job is concerned too, and part of all of those roles within the company. So the, the, the biggest barrier that I see a lot of times, especially when it comes to freight marketing, is that you, if you're working in a marketing capacity or you're trying to get better at your marketing, you really want to know the pain points of every single person and the position that they have. Uh, one really good example that I've seen is that you can sit in with the customer service rep or the carrier rep, the carrier relations rep. You can sit in with them and listen to the phone calls that they're getting on a regular basis. Are there any common themes? Can you address any of these problems or any of these questions on your website within your marketing itself? So jotting those questions down, jotting those pain points down, because that's not only a pain point for your coworker, that's also a pain point for whoever is calling and whoever's on the other end of the line. So that's a way that you can sort of address those problems. And with the ultimate goal of saving your customer service rep from getting a phone call, when you can answer that question on your website, maybe through a, an FAQ page or through uh, just um, maybe like a tracking info page. These are all sort of things that you can add to your website to reduce the amount of phone calls that some of your coworkers are getting and answer those questions ahead of time before it becomes a problem. So really make a point to be able to sit in with other people within the department, within the, within the company in order to hone in on what their job experience is so that way your marketing can help them and ultimately help the company. Now, mistake number two is only looking at your direct competitors for content ideas. This industry is, when I'm saying this industry, the logistics, freight, trucking, it's very much like other industries where it's copycat mode. I can't tell you how many times I run across just a picture of a truck and saying loads available now on social media feeds, on uh, marketing messages, things like that. It's just a picture of a truck and then the what we do. There's nothing else to it. So when I say that it's a big mistake by not looking, uh, only looking at your competitors within the industry and not looking outside of the industry, that's how you're going to stand out from a marketing perspective and from a sales perspective. Sure, you want to say this is the problems that we solve and these are our solutions that we can help you and we can work closely together in the future, but looking outside of the industry for how they take on their marketing. You know, I look to sports a lot. I'm I'm someone with a sports background and I look to sports a lot, uh, especially with how they handle their motivational messages. Uh, Nike comes to mind with all their brilliant commercials and how they, they showcase the story 
stories within. It's not just people wearing their products. It's the stories of the people that are wearing their product. It's uh, So I would look to other companies outside of the industry, see how they're telling stories, see how they're answering customer problems and see if you can take a little bit of each industry outside of your own and see how you can apply it to your own marketing messaging, because that's going to help you stand out from everybody else who's just using, you know, a few lines of text and a picture and a picture of a truck. Not to say that that's a bad thing, especially if you're you know, if you own trucks, then you obviously you want to showcase your own trucks. But if you're trying to stand out from everybody else, you might want to think about it in a little bit of a, of a different way by looking to other industries and what they're doing and applying those same storytelling techniques and apply them to your own business. Now, mistake number three is a big one. It's not using data to measure your ROI. Now, when it comes to data, there's I could go on and on about this problem because from the very start of, of how you're collecting your data, and when I say data, I'm not really referring to like your TMS data or any other kind of software tech that you may be using. I'm specifically referring to your website data and your marketing data. And what you really want to start with when it comes to your marketing data is making sure you're getting clean data. I read a stat that there's something like 42% of all web traffic is spam or bot related. So you really want to make sure that the data you're collecting first is accurate. Second, the data that you're collecting, you want to make sure that you're filtering out your own office. And if you have any other kind of, everybody's working remotely. um, So you want to make sure that you're taking the IP addresses and filtering that traffic out within your analytics data. And that might be a little too, uh, I guess, complex for a lot of people, but um, what I what I have in Freight School Playbook is I have a whole course of how it goes through of how setting up your analytics properly so you're getting that data. But sort of the, the I guess the, the too long didn't read version of that is just to make sure you're setting up filters so you can block out that, that traffic, the spam traffic. And then you're also blocking out your own traffic as well. And so then that way you're getting the most accurate data possible when it comes to people who are just trying to find out what you do and who you are and what kind of services you offer and how you might be able to help each other. Once you have that data, then you'll be able to accurately measure the performance of your campaigns, of your efforts. If you're just blindly just posting to social media because you feel like you should, then the data will get, will tell you if that's worth it or not. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times or how many years I've, I've spent, and I still kind of do to this day, uh, wasting on, say, a platform like Instagram. Instagram is famously low for their conversion rates. It's more for a portfolio. It's more for brand awareness. Um, But for a while, when that social network first came out, it was one of those, it it was a story that sort of Facebook fed you is that this is a valuable platform that you want to build your business on. And while from a portfolio brand experience, I would say, yes, that's true. But if you're trying to convert leads from Instagram over into your, into maybe a carrier or a future shipper or a future customer of yours, you're going to have a hard time doing that just because Instagram, the platform, the people who are going there 
aren't going there to leave the platform. They're going there to be distracted. So you have to sort of keep that in mind when it comes to platforms like that. But you would never know that if you didn't actually check your analytics, if you didn't check your data. Now, some of the more successful ways that you can convert any kind of traffic over to your website and into owned media is through like a Twitter, a LinkedIn. LinkedIn is huge for the the freight industry. And, And that's where a lot of the influencers, especially within the industry, are gravitating towards. LinkedIn is their bread and butter. I would say Twitter and Facebook are probably a close second, but using those platforms, you can convert those visitors into owned traffic, which is your website and your email list. So make sure you're collecting clean data and then also make sure that you're looking at your data to see where am I spending most of my time and what's the ROI on it? Am I getting any traffic from this? And of that traffic, am I getting any leads? Because it could be reversed. It could be a situation where you're getting a lot of traffic traffic from LinkedIn, but they're not converting to leads. It could be a situation where Twitter, you're not getting a lot of traffic, but you're getting a lot of leads from it. You don't know unless you check your tra- unless you check your traffic analytics on via your website. So that is mistake number three. Now for mistake number four, kind of piggybacks off of the one that I was just discussing. Updating your social media accounts more than your website. You do not own your social media accounts. You don't own them. So at any time, any day, and this is what actually happened to a lot of Facebook uh, pages and, and Instagram pages. And what happened was, is that Facebook preached the value of having a business page on their platform. And what happened is that a lot of businesses saw this and said, yes, this is my ticket. I'm, all, I'm already on that platform. I already spend a lot of time there. I'm just going to build my page there. I'm going to build my business page there and I won't even need a website. Well, what happened is a few years later, Facebook decided, you know what? We're going to flip the switch. And we're going to make you pay for that same access. So for example, a salon owner um, that I I personally know, she built her website on uh, Facebook. She built a website, quote unquote, on Facebook. And when Facebook shut it off, she was sending coupons. That was her direct messaging capabilities with all of her potential clients. Um, But they shut it off and her engagement went down to 3%. So she spent years building up people to come to her Facebook page. And then like that, Facebook decided, no, 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 it's going to be a pay to play now. And so you're going to have to pay money in order to reach that same audience that you spent years building. So the lesson in that is to build on land that you own. You only own your email list and your website. That's it. So if you have, and if you have ways of, of generating interest, generating engagement on social media platforms, that's fantastic. But you need to work on a strategy that funnels those same visitors into your email list and onto your website. Ideally, you want to have an email list. You want to convert those people into email subscribers because then you have a way to regularly communicate with those people, not spam them, but to regularly communicate with them no matter what platform might close or might change their their entire ethos of how they conduct business. Um, So that is another important takeaway is to make sure you're building on land that you actually own. Okay, mistake number, well, I'm losing count here, five. Uh, Mistake number five is not segmenting your emails in your marketing campaigns. Now, this is something that I've been guilty of in the past. Uh, You have your entire email list and you're collecting them, but you're not sure who's interested in what. 
way you have to start this is that you have to just start polling people and you have to just start sending out messages that you think that they would like. If Say if you have a, an email list and some of them are 3PLs, some of them are carriers, um, some of them are customers. You have to segment those emails out in order to see a really good return on investment because otherwise people are just going to see your email in the inbox and they're just going to get used to just deleting it. If, they're, if they know that they're going to get some kind of valuable information just by simply opening up the email, your open rates will skyrocket. But they have to know that each and every time that they open up an email from you, it's interesting to them, it's personalized to them, and it contains information that they want right when they need it. And it sounds like an impossible task, but that's what happens when you are, are really honing in on your email marketing because it's, it's like there's a question that we're going to answer later on in uh, the show, but this is a, a particular example of how you can sort of stand out in the sea of noise that is email because email inboxes are overloaded and they're overloaded even more now because of COVID. So you have to really make sure that your email is being sent at the exact right time and that your person, not at the exact right time, but around the time that your user will open it and it's going to be interesting to them. Because if you do that over a period of time and it's not interesting to them, then they're not going, they're going to eventually unsubscribe and they're just going to go right into the trash. And, and that's that can really skew a lot of your email open rates, a lot of your, your analytics, which we just talked about is very important in order to, to gauge and sort of know where your audience is, is, is at, both mentally and from a business perspective. So really segmenting your emails. And if you're not sure where to start, the, the easiest place to start is from right where you gather your, your email list. Add a few checkboxes. There are plenty of email software companies that are out there that make this as easy as possible on you. And when I say things like you make sure you're sending it at the right time and, and make sure you're sending you know, it to the right segment, if you segment your emails properly from the jump, then it makes all of those other messaging options a little bit easier because then those those software capabilities and the 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 automation part of email marketing can really show how powerful it can be. Um, there are a few email campaigns that I send out on what's called a time warp, and a time warp is when the email I've already created it but I want to send it to that user's time zone for a specific time. So what I, I have to do is, and I'm talking about MailChimp in particular. So what I have to do in MailChimp is I have to write my emails out, you know, days in advance and then set it up on what's called a time warp. And then I schedule it to say, okay, I want it to send at 6 a.m. And it's going to reach that recipient's time zone wherever they're at in the world. So that is another important takeaway. As long as you're segmenting your emails properly, then it makes all of those other really cool automation, you know, powerful features that makes email so great, then it makes them much more useful into where they'll, you'll start seeing a greater ROI whenever you're really honing in on your email marketing messages. And then mistake number six, the final one, is thinking that you can effectively manage social media accounts everywhere. And I'm here to tell you, you can't. I've tried it. It's damn near impossible unless you have a team surrounding you. And it's really, it's, it's almost impossible for teams as well because from a marketing perspective, it's, it's difficult at times to show the ROI of social media. And for a lot of us, we are not only doing marketing, but we have a regular job. 
and or our regular job duties. And we have a million other things that we're worrying about. And then we think, oh God, I haven't posted to LinkedIn in two weeks. What do I even post? And that sort of dread, it makes things a lot easier when you're only dealing with one or two social media accounts. If you don't have time for all, all of the social media accounts, which is plenty, there's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's uh, LinkedIn, there's Instagram, there's TikTok, and then there's you know all kinds of new ones that pop up seemingly at least once or twice a year. It's difficult to keep up with. And each one of them has their own sort of messaging style. So it really takes a time investment in order to learn that platform, learn what works well and what doesn't work well. And then it's a period of trial and error, but you really can only focus that kind of attention on one, maybe two platforms. The rest of them, you kind of got to treat them as sort of a portfolio. And another thing to keep in mind is that if you're on a social media platform, your customers might be expecting to get customer service from that platform. So if you have a Facebook page, if you have a Twitter account and you're not actively checking your messages, customers are expecting to be able to reach out to you via social media. If you have an account there and they're reaching out to you with a problem or with an issue, they expect a response within 24 hours tops. So if you're not regularly monitoring those networks, secure the brand name just to protect yourself, but don't post there. Just keep the account and make Maybe in the future, you'll might, you, you could publish in the future, but at least you're securing that brand name account, but only focus, choose to focus on one or two platforms because I'm telling you, you don't have the time for all of them. Okay, so that was the six biggest freight marketing mistakes that I see. And there are a ton more. I really could go super in depth with a lot of these, but I, I'm not going to you know, take up a lot of your time today because there are some other questions and some other topics that I want to get into, including questions that a lot of you guys submitted today. Um, I reached out to a few of you and tried to get you know, a, some, some questions that maybe you are personally dealing with. Um, so I'm going to run through those questions really quick and start to see if I can you know, maybe provide some clarity on a few of these questions. So the first one I'm going to read is from Mike May with Aaron C. And he says, I'm new to sales and marketing specifically in the freight business. I'm an ex freight customer and I still receive daily emails on my old email account from 3PLs and other forwarders. Not segmenting your email list or these other companies aren't. So uh, he goes on to say, as a customer, I was looking for partnerships and companies I could trust in the long run. I'm trying to go Zen with Aaron C's marketing and I'm struggling with an overall plan. How do I promote our company without seeming boastful? So I'm going to tackle that question first. Promoting your company without seeming boastful is, is, it's a challenge and it's something that I, I personally struggle with, but something that I always come back to is this advice that I heard Barbara Walters say one time. And she says, if you're not proud of your work, why should anyone else be? So if you're not proud of your company and you're not proud of the services that you offer, you should be boastful about that. Uh, it, it sometimes can be uh, intimidating to, to scream from the high heavens how great you are. But if you're genuinely solving problems for other people, other businesses, that's something to be proud of. So I would absolutely use that in your marketing. And you could use it in the form of testimonials. You could use it in the form of, 
you know, if you, if you accomplish something for a customer, Hey, can you just write out a few sentences on, on how this experience was for me? Testimonials are, are essentially online reviews and they're online reviews that you can, you can solicit from your customers that you, that they had a great experience with, you know, damn well that if you had a bad experience with somebody, you're going to go to their Google page or you're going to go to their Facebook page and you're going to write a nasty review. Um, But if you're going to do that, let's just hope that you do the same for the good experience as well. And with a way of highlighting the good experiences, you can solicit those reviews from your customers. And if you have a, uh, if you have a Google My Business page, if you have a Facebook page that you're actively taking reviews on, you can ask the user to submit those reviews there. And that's a way that you can really sort of shine a light on how great your services are without being the one to have to say it. But don't be ashamed of say of being boast, boastful about how great you you went above and beyond for your customers because that's going to help ease the trust factor of getting a new customer through the door. It, we rely heavily on reviews and testimonials in every part of our lives. You know, it, it, if you order from Amazon, that's that's one of the things that you're looking at first. Okay, the product looks great. The price looks great. It's going to get here in two days. Let me scroll down and see what the reviews look like. That's what people want to see. They want to know that their, their affirmation of, of they, they want to be affirmed that their choice to do business with you or potentially do business with you is confirmed. So I, I wouldn't be ashamed of, of being boastful, but a testimonials are a good way to let other people be boastful for you. Okay, and the next part of Mike's question is, how do I remind customers of our presence without seeming like a door-to-door Cutco salesman? I actually attended one of those classes when I was very young, newspaper ad, uh, not a good experience. I actually sat in on that lesson all day long. And it's Cutco, for those of you who don't know, is selling knives. So imagine that somebody comes to your door trying to sell knives. It's not a good experience. I don't know who even came up with this, with this idea for a business. But how do I remind customers of our presence without seeming like a door-to-door co-salesman. I would say revert people back to your website. Um, It's always nice, I think, to include in your marketing messages. Don't make it a central piece, but make a page on your website or even on, you know, any kind of social media platform that you have. Um, Instagram, I think, is a good, I keep going back to Instagram for sort of a portfolio of your, your customer experience. You could take screenshots of testimonials, screenshot them and make them into a photo gallery. You can then use that photo gallery in a variety of places. You could use them on LinkedIn. You could use them on your website, your website primarily, because that's where people are going to know, to research more about you, to know more about you. Um, So that's the way that I would do it. I, I would include it on my communications, maybe even in your email signature, including just a link to testimonials that you can find on your website that really helps with like your cold outreach or with just your general marketing messages that you're sending out. If you're sending those out, if you're still in sort of the planning phase of sending out your marketing messages, I would think about adding a testimonial section or what our customers have said about us. Uh, Add some kind of section, some kind of terminology to your website. So then that way you can use either that page or that photo gallery in the future. Now, sorry, I got to take a drink break. Okay. Um, And he also adds on, Mike adds on, 
I'm usually genuine in my sales reaches touches, which is great. Um, but with all the other random marketing emails going out, I think we get grouped in with the other more desperate messages. And that sort of goes back to one of the other freight marketing mistakes that I was referring to with your email marketing and not segmenting them. If you are conditioning your users to get used to opening up an email, like during COVID, this has really happened. It's really been a shift for me. I don't know if it's the same for a lot of people, but just seeing the growth of other emails, like Morning Brew is a really good example of how they've sort of revitalized the email marketing game. Where And Substack is another company that's really revitalizing how you get your emails and enjoying that experience. I've noticed a few things of what they do is they send it out first thing in the morning and they send it out about 6 a.m. on a Monday or a Tuesday. And so that way, you're hitting your user's inbox and you're one of the first people in the inbox. And when you're putting yourself into your customer's shoes and when they're open, when say you're waking up in the morning, your alarm goes off, you reach for your phone and you check it. We all do. We're not supposed to, but you check it first thing in the morning and you start seeing all the emails come through. If it's a pleasant experience, every time that they open up your email, they're going to have, they're going to, plan time aside in order to enjoy that email. And that morning brews email is a perfect example. I love to read the morning brew email when I'm having my coffee. So first thing in the morning, I know that I'm going to have a good experience because every time that I've opened that email, I've had a good experience and I'm not, and not all of the information has to be applicable to me. It's scannable. It has a lot of good information in it, a lot of good industry insight. And then it goes into basically like a link dump of interesting things that, that they found online. That's sort of the same approach that I take with a lot of my email communications. I'm not going to get instant results from it. I'm not going to see, you know, a 40% increase in sales within a few weeks of sending this email newsletter. It's a long process, just like with any content marketing, but it's a relationship building process. They call it a nurture process for a reason. So I think if you're tailoring your emails in that way to where it's a pleasant experience, you're providing useful information for your visitor, then that's a situation where you're grooming them over time. I guess grooming is probably a bad phrase to use uh, in this regard, but you're, you're conditioning your user over time to appreciate and know that when they open your email, they're going to have a good experience. And maybe the information is going to be relevant a lot of the times and maybe it's not, but at least it's going to be something useful and it's not you know, a carrier sending out emails to, uh, I don't know, a Christmas tree shipper who, when it's, you know, February. So it, it, that, that's a situation, that's just a random example of, of how email marketing can go wrong because there are so many people out there just shooting from the hip and just pretending as if, you know, it's just a transactional base. When email, you really have to look at it as relationship building. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, putting yourself in your customer's shoes and you're providing them value. It is a long game, but in my opinion, it's a worthwhile game. It's it's also why you see all of these other companies, and I want to say all of them, but there are a lot of companies who are taking an extra effort into their email game just because there's so much other content that can come from your email. I mean, you when I write an email, I take the email and all of my subscribers get it first thing Monday morning. Later on in the week, Thursday or Friday, I will republish that email to my blog. And then from the blog, I'll pick a few 
pieces here and there to then plug out on social media. So it really starts with one pillar piece of content, which is your email, but then you can repurpose that in a variety of different ways throughout all of the other platforms, your distribution platforms and platforms you own like your website. So thank you, Mike. That was a really good question. And it's really also good to see that you know, people in freight want to send genuine emails, genuine communications, because I think that that's very rare right now. It might not be in the future, but you could be one of those people that are, are carving out that path for meaningful email communications within the freight industry. Okay, so let's go on to the next question. I need to take a drink first. Mm. Okay. Elijah Callender, and I hope that I pronounced that right with border bound, he asks, I'm just getting into sales for a freight broker, and I want to better immerse myself in the industry. I have a background in sales for mobile marketing and pivoting my role from COVID. I am now working with a small broker looking to grow a sales team and begin, and begin any kind of marketing campaign. And so he says he's looking forward to learning more. So with freight sales, especially with a smaller company, I feel like it's sort of your Nine times out of 10, you're just going to be thrown to the wolves and you're just going to be told. And I'm not sure if this is Elijah's case or not. Um, I'm just, you know, sort of spitballing here of the experience that I've heard from other sales reps that essentially what happens, and this might be more common among the bigger freight companies. Elijah said he's working for a smaller brokerage. So, so maybe it's different there. Um, but what happens a lot is that people and especially managers will just throw somebody into the sales position and they'll just, you know, it's either, uh, survive or die. And it's one of those situations where if you're trying to build sales from uh, from a freight broker's perspective the right way i would say networking is absolutely key um going back to my email rant i would say honing in on your email marketing message is absolutely key um be comfortable with cold emailing but only send cold emails when you've actually researched the customer don't just blindly send out to you know 20,000 people that you bought off some random email list off of fiverr or something that's not the way to do it well, the way you want to do it is look up some of the people that you want to prospect, look at where their pain points are. And and maybe you don't even know their pain points are yet, but maybe you can assume what their pain points are depending on uh, the industry that they're in, maybe the lanes that they specialize in, uh, maybe the commodity that they specialize in. Um, for example, it's, you know, it's Halloween season right now and all of the, all of the stores, even theme parks, they're starting to decorate, um, their parks and Halloween decor. Um, so if you're reaching out to maybe, uh, the people who ship pumpkins, so that could be a situation where you reach out to those, those, uh, the, the people who have the pumpkins and your order, you're trying to set up that those distribution points from point A to point B, then that could be a situation where you reach out to the pumpkin provider. I'm sure I'm butchering, um, the proper phrases here, but you're reaching out to the person who has that supply and you want to give it and you want to communicate that to the person who you're ultimately wanting to deliver it to. So you're finding out their pain points. You're thinking about their pain points. You're reaching out to them to establish a connection. You're doing any kind of research that's publicly available on the web that might be able to help you with your cold email. So technically it's still a cold email, but you've done your research. Plenty of websites out there have an about us page, have a contact us page, and you can easily look up who the leadership within 
that company is. And so whenever you're reaching out cold, it doesn't really feel like a cold message because you know the end goal in mind. You you sort of theorize their pain points and you want to put yourself front and center. Here's where I realize your pain point. Here's how I can help solve your problem. Now, I would also document how you're approaching these customers and how you're approaching it from a sales perspective. And I would document that work process because if you're working for a small brokerage company, this could be an opportunity that you could define how that sales process looks like. And if you're looking to build the sales team, you don't want to have them, you don't want to treat them like some of the bigger companies and just tell them to sit at the and pound the phones and, and you know, survive or die. You want to have that established workflow for them because if there's any complaint that I hear from people in sales is that that's exactly what happens to them is that they're thrown to the wolves. They don't really know where to start. They're given accounts that, you know, haven't had any contact with, you know, more than a year. Um, so it's technically a cold outreach anyways. Um, so they're pretty much just starting from scratch. I would do your due diligence. It's the hard way, but it's the right way. Uh, do your due diligence when you're scoping out these customers in order to reach out to and be persistent, be persistent with the solutions that you're going to offer them and that the problems that you're going to solve for them. And then in addition to that, document your processes and document your workflows so that when you do start growing as a sales rep and you do start building that book of business and you are able to start hiring other sales reps, then you can bring them on and you can show them the ways that you were successful for that company. Um, And then that way it helps get them up to speed a little bit faster and it helps your whole sales department grow. And that's ultimately what everybody wants out of a sales department is to help the company grow because what works for the company works for the employees. So great question, Elijah. I hope that was, um, I hope that was helpful. It wasn't a little, you know, scatterbrained. Um, but ultimately just do good marketing. I think that that's what a lot of companies sort of look at marketing as like the easiest thing in the world to do. Oh, you just publish some stuff to social media and it's fine. No, it's a constant testing in theory, testing in theory over and over again. This is what I think based off of this data. I think this type of messaging is going to work and you're going to test it. And if it doesn't work, you're going to test it again and you're going to test it in slightly different ways. Um, That's all marketing and sales is, is trying to find what's going to work for a specific customer profile, a a buyer persona. Um, That's all you're really trying to do. And it's a constant a circle of life almost where you got to really think about it and put yourself in the customer's point of view and is your messaging working and if it's not what can I change and how can we make it better okay next question is from Adrian Ross with Crowley Maritime Maritime I should say I should get that right they've only been around for uh, 128 years is what Adrian said. So he says it's a 128 year old company. And you can imagine over the course of time, we've accumulated a lot of knowledge on a lot of customers. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that a lot of our data is unusable, but even with that, I'm sure there's more that can be done to take advantage of our current accumulated data. What are some strategies that legacy companies can use to take advantage of with their existing customer data and market to make them better? Okay. With this one, it's it's not going to be an answer that you want to hear, but it's accurate. I would say that with a lot of your data, it's probably useless. Um, so I would say from a marketing perspective, uh, what you should do is focus right now 
on auditing what you currently have from a marketing and sales perspective, um, specifically when it comes to what channels are you currently marketing on? Uh, how is that traffic routing back to your website? Uh, and what are those customers doing? Do they ultimately, I, I would do this for probably for a legacy company. I would do this for the past and normal times, I would say the past two years and look at your, your customer data and how it converts and what the ROI looks like is a certain percentage of people who come to the website, do they eventually fill out a form? Do they eventually download a case study? Um, do they eventually, once they download that information, are they reaching out to a sales, a sales rep or is the sales rep leading out, reaching out to them? There's a lot of, of ways that this can be, I don't want to say misconstrued, but there's a lot of different uh, spokes on the wheel, if you will. So with this situation, I would start just from the ground level because you don't know if a lot of your data is useless. I think you hinted at, you probably think that a lot of the data is useless right now, but in that situation, I mean, you have a history. I mean, from a historical perspective, this is a company that doesn't probably need a lot of brand awareness, but you need to know who are the people coming to the website and who are these new people? There's new people coming into freight all the time. Um, so what I would say is to start from the ground level, make sure the data that you're collecting on all of your marketing channels, including your website and email marketing, make sure that that data is clean data. And what I mean by that is make sure that it's not spam related. You got your proper filters set in place. A lot of you probably use Google analytics for your, your website analytics. So in that case, it's, it's fairly easy to set up your your filters um you can just google go to google and search out known spam bot sites google analytics um and what that will give you is a list that is so long it's ridiculous but it's a list of known spam bot websites you take that link and you send it over to your developer. You send it over to your web, your analytics, your marketing person. So you take that information, you send it over to them, and you have them set up the filters within the account. If you're hub, if you're a HubSpot customer, I believe HubSpot does this automatically. They film out, they they filter out um, known spam bot sites, and they also filter out um, your personal IP address. They might not filter out now that everyone's remote. You might have to do some additional programming in order to find out. Or, or add additional IP filters into that, but you really need to start with clean data first. And that goes for a 128-year-old company to a six-month-old company. The data you collect has to be clean. Otherwise, it's completely useless. So start from there, and then you can start making those educated decisions on where you should spend more time and energy when it comes to your marketing and sales goals. If you don't have those filters in place, or if they're not willing to set it up, then you're kind of, uh, you're, you're, you're kind of screwed to be honest. Um, you really need to make sure that, that whoever is in charge of the marketing, which they might already have these parameters put in place. In that case, what you can do from there is to start setting up regular analytical reports that are sent from your website, sent straight from HubSpot, straight from Google analytics, and they're sent directly to your sales team because the sales team, in my experience, love numbers. They love to see what's happening and what's working and what's 
that's not working because they want to do their job better too, just like everybody else within the company. So as long as your marketing can help you facilitate those reports, then you'll have a, you'll have the clean data that you can work with. And then you can be, you can start to dive in a little bit deeper once you get a greater understanding of where your traffic is coming from, what pages they're interacting with the most, if they're downloading any case studies and what's happening after those things happen on the website. Um, For example, if someone downloads a case study, is a sales rep reaching out to them immediately? Are they reaching out in it with an email series um, that starts maybe a few hours later? So think about it from that perspective of if you were in the customer's shoes, A, you want to get the clean data first, but then B, if you are in the customer's shoes and you're downloading a white paper, what's the next steps that you would want to take as a customer? Answer those questions. And then from there, um, you'll have a much better, I guess, method of, of, of managing the workflow of what your, your sales process looks like from a digital media perspective. Now, it's a little bit different with contacts that you know. It's always, always easier to sell to customers that already have a, an affinity for you, that have already been a customer of yours. It's easier to upsell those customers than it is to get a new one. But to gain that kind of insight, you really have to start with clean data. So get that done first, and then you can use that data to your advantage in the future in order to send better, more effective messaging. Okay, last question comes in from Kyle Macnow. I don't think I pronounced your last name correctly, and I'm sorry, Kyle, um, but he's with Aborn & Co. And he says, I'd love to know what other marketers are doing to leaving a lasting impact on the age of, after the age, or in the age of Corona. I feel like everyone went to email at this point, and it's all white noise for a prospect at this point. Yes, it probably is. Um, I've seen some success with webinars, but I've also seen that become the go-to place for everyone. Now there's another, there's a follow-up question, but I'll answer this one first. Now, yes, there is a ton of white noise. We're emails are being sent like crazy. But to my earlier point, as long as you're making, email is a long game. As long as you're making your emails and you're, you're, you're segmenting them properly and you're sending the messages uh, in a timely manner that is, is relevant to the audience, then they're going to be conditioned over a certain period of time in order to open your emails, see your email in their inbox and say, that's an email I want to open. Now, the other people who just send out emails just for the sake of it, they're, they're digging their own grave and they probably know it and they probably don't care. What, how you want to position your email messaging is to be different from the rest. Um, so I'm sure, Kyle, you're a marketing pro. You already know that. Um, but I also feel like with webinars, with live video, it is a way, it, it is going to be ever increasing, but it's also a way for us to still communicate because that is really what I think a lot of us are missing with, with not being in an office or I I've worked remotely for, for years now, but I still miss being able to go to a coffee shop and work out of a coffee shop just to be, I don't want to talk to anybody. I just miss being surrounded by a community of people. Um, so I think that webinars are a great way to still keep that, that human interaction, still communicate, um, how you're feeling and what what you're going through and how ultimately your solutions will solve your customers' problems. So I still think that there's definitely a lot of value in it, but it's up to the webinar host or whoever is hosting a live show 
to provide that value and put their listeners first and put their viewers first. If you're not doing that, then you're ultimately, you're not, you're not going to see much success with any kind of marketing if you're not putting your customer first. And then Kyle's follow-up question is also, is anyone going to try to sponsor an in-person conference in 2021? Why or why not? Now, I personally think that in-person conferences are going to come back. We're seeing a a greater amount of increase uh, with theme parks. I think I I read the other day that Disney is going to start increasing capacity at their theme parks. Um, uh, We've saw over the weekend with a lot of the NFL, um, a lot of the NFL didn't have any fans whatsoever. Um, But the Thursday night game and the Jacksonville game, of course, I'm a Jaguars fan, um, but they allowed fans at their home game. Now, ticket sales were a little bit rough. Um, They were also a little pricey. But I I think that can be said for a lot of, I guess, live events right now that it's sort of just have the event and see what people do. And for the Jaguars in particular, they had a pretty good turnout. So I think it's encouraging that we will start seeing more live events especially after 2020. I think there's so much just sort of like a mental exhaustion when it comes to even the word 2020 that everybody has sort of just kind of thrown in the towel on any major conferences, any major live events until 2021. With that said, though, I don't think that we're going to be seeing any big conferences. I would say probably until like March. That's when you start to see um, um, the MATS conference, the GATS. Um, A lot of these conferences start to gear back up. I know that the Consumer Electronics Show, which usually happens the first or second week in January, they're not having that this year. Um, So I think that what 2021 will be an interesting experience because you're going to see which companies still believe in in in-person events and then which persons and which companies are just going to go full virtual because you can save a lot of money going virtual. I, I, the only thing that worries me about going full virtual is that you still miss those little parts of attending a conference and the networking that can come from it. There's nothing that can replace, you know, walking through a showroom and, and checking out the different booths. I've seen the digital virtual booths and they're okay, but it's not the same experience as actually walking through a a conference showroom and seeing people that you recognize and, and just shaking hands, Um, you know, striking up a conversation at the networking happy hour, things like that, that it's much more difficult to to manifest that virtually than it is from an in-person event. I do think that we're absolutely still going to see in-person events. I just think it's probably going to be around spring of when we start seeing, you know, more sponsorships come in because the money will always follow. If people are willing to go and show up to an event, like what we've seen with theme parks and and sporting events and even movie theaters, uh, people are wanting to get out of their house. They're getting restless. So I think that just from a psyche standpoint, early 2021 will probably will be a really good gauge on, on how people are, I guess, taking in conferences, if they're still preferring the virtual approach or if they're still, or if they want to sort of, you know, dip their toe into going to a, a an in-person conference. I think another hurdle that we have to uh, cross to is the liability factor. A lot of companies are going to be weary of sending people to a conference and paying for it. And if God forbid, if someone goes to a conference and they catch COVID, then the employer is, is from what I hear is, 
is is subject to be sued. So the liability factor that's involved as well is something that you should keep in mind as well. Um, I have heard that there are going to be, you know, liability waivers put in place to protect companies, but then it it's sort of the onus is on the salesperson themselves, like it usually or typically is, is you're going to have to make that decision on if you're comfortable going to a virtual conference or not. Um, I think the sponsorship dollars will follow wherever the people are going. The sponsorship dollar dollars will absolutely follow, whether that's a virtual or in person. So thank you, Kyle. That was a great question. Okay, so going into that was the that was the end of our questions that we sent in or that were asked earlier. So if you have any questions, you can feel free. And I'm sure some of you maybe have uh, given your your questions in the chat. I haven't exactly checked the chat yet, so hopefully, you know, some of you are submitting your questions in there. I see a few of you have. Um, oh, Kyle Macnot. I'm sorry, that is the correct pronunciation of, of Kyle's name. He's at Aborn and Company. If you get the Digital Dispatch email newsletter, then you'll notice that we actually mentioned them in the, in the email newsletter earlier because or earlier in the week because they do a fantastic job as far as content marketing is concerned. Um, and it really is honing in on that in-house content marketing. What happens with a lot of, of bigger transportation companies is they send their marketing out to an agency. And a lot of the times those agencies have no idea about trucking logistics. Um, you have to explain what a carrier is. You have to explain what a reefer is. Um, and, and, and in Kyle's situation, they handle their marketing all in-house, which is a, it, it, they lead by example as far as content marketing is concerned. They have their executives involved in, in video presentations. They are doing podcasting. They're on YouTube. They're taking advantage of SEO. So if you're looking for different content marketing examples, I would highly recommend checking out Aborn and Co. Um, I know they're on Instagram and I know they're on YouTube. YouTube is where you'll find all of their videos. And I think, and I watch every, all of their videos. They're fantastic. They do not only just educational insight, but they also do interviews with industry leaders too. So that's a good blueprint of if you're thinking about your content marketing strategy and how you can be a little bit different, um, but still provide tremendous value. That's a good company to look for as far as examples are concerned. Um, a couple other companies that really stand out to me is PDQ America. They have a trucking for millennials podcast, which they just recently upgraded to a video podcast studio as well. It's an asset based uh, brokerage company and they provide a really like top notch content marketing as well. They're really great on social media. Um, they're one of the few companies I would say in Instagram that do a really good job because they balance the, the fun meme side of, of trucking and logistics, but they also provide a lot of value as well. So they're a really good company to look at. Um, if you're looking for a little bit more, I guess, um, of an executive approach, look at K-Ratio. It's K-Ratio. Every Monday or Tuesday, uh, one of the presidents of the company, Kyle Littner, he will do a five-minute video of basically what he thinks is going on in the industry based off of the data that he's looked at. It's really insightful. It's a quick five minute video. They do it every single week. And it's a really good way to get your executive's perspective out to the masses. Um, So that that's another content marketing hack that I, I, I would suggest to a lot of companies out there, whether you're small or whether you're large, that that's something your executive having thought leadership on what is going on in the industry for this week or for this month, that is a a surefire way to establish trust 
within your audience, not just your current customers, but then your prospective customers as well. Um, so look at it from that perspective. So K-Ratio, uh, PDQ America, and Aborn & Co. are all really good examples if you're looking for it to, to step your content marketing game up or just looking to really start from the ground level of what you should be doing with your content marketing. So those three companies are really good. All right. We are coming up, we got about seven minutes left in this webinar. So let's, um, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Freight School Playbook we launched today. And basically everything that I have talked about in this webinar, that's what we teach you in Freight School Playbook. It's on demand, it's learn as you go. Um, we have two courses back there right now, how to audit your website and also how to craft your content marketing plan. So two of those courses, I started with those courses because I firmly believe that before I add all of the other courses that I want to add, those are the two courses that you have to take first. It's not the, the, the sexiest piece of content. I mean, maybe a lot of you out there want to learn how to make your own in-house video and how to make your own podcasting. Those courses are coming soon. But for this situation, I think a lot of situations in particular, you need to start with these two foundations. You need to know where you're standing as far as your website and your marketing is concerned. That's where uh, how to audit your website comes into play. And then from there, it will help you craft your content marketing message. Um, so it just greatly goes into um, a little bit more of what I've discussed in today's webinar. Now, memberships are going to be open from starting today. It's either $45 a month or you can buy the annual package, um, which saves you $150. And it's about, I think it's four, yeah, $425. Um, so it's either $45 a month or $425. And you're going to save if you get the annual membership. Now, these memberships are going to close on September 24th. That's not this Thursday, but next Thursday. So when they close, the idea of closing the memberships is that we're going to have a really tight community. And what we're going to do is we're going to really build off of each other. We're going to figure out what's working well, what's not working well. And as a founding member, you're going to have a voice as to what content is added in the future. If you don't want me talking about podcasting, you'd rather me, you know, drop a course on SEO, search engine optimization, then that's the course that I will publish first before the other one. So that's the goal of having closed memberships is that we'll open in the future later on down the line, probably early 2021, maybe December 2020, just to, you know, for the people who are New Year's resolution focused, which I am. So I think that that's a good time to reopen. Um, but if you, if you have any kind of content goals in mind and you want to grow with each other and with a community behind you, then this is the platform for you. Um, it's the lowest cost membership in the industry. There's no other really marketing and sales content out there that you can take on a course level that sort of cuts out the noise and clears and, and really creates clarity for a lot of your marketing and digital media and sales goals. So if you heard me talk about the phrase, you know, IP addresses and analytics and, you know, all these other phrases that you're like, what the hell is she talking about? That's what I cover in these courses. And so if you have any, you know, follow-up questions or things like that, that's where the community really shines is that we'll be able to help each other out. We will be able to, to intimately answer these kind of questions. Um, and then hopefully, you know, with, with, 
the, the, the growth of the program with the growth of Freight School Playbook, um, we'll be able to hold private Zooms just like this. And I'll be able to invite you guys on. And then we can have, you know, a face-to-face discussion and we can all collaborate either together or independently. It's, it's really got a, a it, it, it's almost like a pottery where we can mold it as we see fit. Um, so I, that's what I'm really excited about is being able to really intimately grow the platform with the programs that you guys want to see the most. So that's Freight School Playbook sort of in a nutshell. We're going to be doing another one of these in the in next Tuesday, same day, same time, um, two days before the memberships will close again. So I have a ton of questions that people submitted via LinkedIn that we'll answer on next week's show. Um, but then I'll also go over a sample of the content marketing plan that I use for my business. So how I brainstorm, how I come up with content ideas, how I create them, how I create the distribution plan for them and ultimately how I measure that success. So I'm going to go through my sample content plan. I'm also going to give you a copy of my spreadsheets so that you can use them and, and sort of tweak them to, to fit your needs. So that's Freight School Playbook in a nutshell. Um, I would love for you guys to join us this same time, same day next week. You'll probably get a notification if you signed up for this webinar. I believe you'll get a notification for next week too. So if you have any questions in the meantime, be sure to submit them either on the website or directly to email. Um, you can email me Blythe at Brumleaf Brands and I will be sending out a replay of this show as well. So you can follow back up. You can take some notes, um, whatever your heart desires. I mean, really that that's, that's the goal of the webinar replays is that you'll be able to do with this information, however you see fit. Okay. So let's go into, um, I'm going to ask Brian, Brian, do we have a, okay. We got a question. Let's see. If I, sorry, I'm new to this Zoom thing too. Oh, Q&A. Perfect. Would you consider, would you consider, all right, Carlos is asking, would you consider best practice in nurturing on lead databases? So Carlos, what I think you're referring to is, um, what are, it's, it's not, I think it's called Zoom, but it's for leads. There's another program out there that you can get quality leads from, and it is technically a lead database. Um, So what I would do if I was in that situation and I was reaching out to someone cold, which I have done in the past, if I see somebody that has a crappy looking website and I think that they can do better, then I'll reach out to them and I'll say, hey, I think your website could use some work. Here's where I think you're struggling. Here's where I can help. I think as long as you're using those lead databases and you're looking up the companies that you're going to be reaching out to, you have to personalize it. Try to find out a first name. Finding out a first name and including it in your email has, I don't know the exact number, but I know it helps a lot when it comes to conversions, when it comes to open rates, when it comes to you know somebody just opening up your email and taking the action that you want them to take. Um, I also think that there's a lot of studies out there that can preach to the high heavens of the uh, the pros and cons of sending a plain text email versus a fancy, you know, pretty HTML email, you know, where you have your logo and you have GIFs. And, you know, that's the approach that I've, I've taken with the fancy stuff. But I've also seen a lot of success when it's just a plain text email and it has one link in the email. Um, so I would test both versions, but I would, the, the tactics that I would use from a 
sales perspective is I would get as much information as I can on that company, try to find out someone's personal, uh, try to find out someone's first name, um, address them by their first name. And I would get right to the point. People are busy. Like we've said several times in this show, this is a time where people are getting more and more emails. You have to have a a method of, of standing out from the rest. Do not, do not, if you are a HubSpot customer or you have any kind of email templates or any kind of email sequences, do not use the default settings. I can't tell you how many times that I get emails from people in the freight industry that are using the HubSpot templates and that are the same thing that everybody else is using. So don't do that. Use the framework. Don't use that exact same text that they're using because marketers like myself, salespeople, um, we can spot that a mile away when automation takes over. Um, you really want, it, it, it sucks and it's probably not the answer that a lot of people want to hear, but you got to put the work in. Um, if you're going to be gathering those leads from lead databases, they can be valuable, but it's what you do with that information after you get that lead info that is really going to take the extra mile for you. Um, so what I would personally do and what I've seen uh, sales departments uh, for companies that I've worked with in the past, what they will do is they'll get 25 emails from a lead database and they will work those emails and they will research the company. They will find out, you know, all their social media profiles. Um, they'll find out their website. Um, they'll look into everything that they provide. And then that way, your message that you send to them, whether you send them a fancy, pretty email or whether you send them a plain text email, that makes the, that information go a lot further. You can still set up your sequences if they haven't opened up the email after a few days. And, and that's what I mean by a sequence where you have, you know, four or five emails and something happens if someone uh, didn't sign up or, or, or didn't click a link. Like, for example, my, one of my campaigns that I send out, if you don't open the email within 24 hours, then the email is automatically sent to you again just to see if you'll open it. Um, you can take that same approach, but it's the information that's in the email that is the most important. Because if you get your user to open the email, you got to make sure it's worth their time. And if you're trying to build that relationship, whether it's through a sales funnel or whether it's through a marketing funnel, you really have to make sure that that is worth their time, whether from an informational standpoint or this is how I'm going to solve your problems. So hopefully that answers your question. Um, But I would not shy away from lead databases whatsoever. It's the information that you send to those leads once you get their information. That's what matters most. So I think that that was the only question. We had a few responses in the chat. This is all great. Uh, let's see. Thank you guys so much. This is a lot of really good feedback. Thank you. Um, this is actually my first uh, live webinar. I've hosted you know, live broadcasts. I'm a former sports broadcaster, so I've hosted live broadcasts in the past, uh, but it, this is my first live webinar. So dealing with you know, the chat and sharing a screen and all that good stuff. Uh, hopefully I'll, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to experiment with that next week when I show you how I work my content marketing plan. Um, but this is a first for me. So hopefully the audio was good. The video was good. The experience is good, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm not going to take up too much more of your time because we hit the hours. So that's good. I know I knew I could speak for an hour. Um, I just hope that, you know, a lot of what I discussed today was really valuable for you guys for enough for you to come back next Tuesday. Um, If you want to check out any of the other, or I should say, if you have any other further questions, if you think about a lot of the information that we discussed, stew on it, send me an email. 
send me what your question is. I'll answer it on the next show. We got a ton of questions that I can answer next week anyways. Um, so what I'll make sure is anybody who's in attendance live, I'm going to answer yours right away. And speaking of being in attendance live, I almost forgot we're doing a giveaway it's a truck driver appreciation week, we're doing a giveaway called get one, give one. So if you purchase a freight school membership to per, membership before the deadline, before September 24th, you'll be able to gift a membership to a truck driver of choice. So this could be a really good way to help other truckers out there who are truck drivers are their social media game is on point. If you are looking to network with anybody or work with anybody, look to your truck drivers first and foremost, because usually their social media is better than anybody else in the industry. Um, But where I think a lot of truck drivers struggle with is that they have a great social media presence, but they don't have a website. They don't know where to start in that regard. So this could be a great offer that you could give to any of your drivers, maybe a carrier that you love working with. Um, But we're doing this promotion called get one, give one. So as long as you purchase a freight school playbook membership, then you'll be able to gift a membership to somebody else so that these guys can learn on the go too, and they can build up their online presence, just like we're all really trying to do. We're all trying to navigate this together. So why not work together and try to build each other up and grow together? Um, So that's one important note. And then um, anytime, in the meantime, if you have a question, stew on this information, shoot me an email. I'll make sure that it's answered on next week's show. Um, In the meantime, thank you guys for joining me. You can find me on social media. Just go to either freightschoolplaybook.com or digital dispatches where a lot of my social media, podcast, email, all that good stuff is all linked in there. So you can subscribe, follow whichever platform your choice is. So thank you guys to Dan for joining and uh, I'll see you next week. Hopefully. Thank you guys again.